Good morning, church. <clears throat> okay, so before, like, two or three weeks ago, I would have told you I never get allergies, and I would have been lying to you. I am experiencing allergies, as far as I know, first time in my life, and they are no fun. <laughs> Holy moly. Um, gosh. Good morning. We are, um, my name is Kendrick, I'm a pastor here at Calvary Church, and we are in the middle of 50 days of Genesis. I hope you guys are enjoying this reading as we just go through reading one chapter a day. In case you guys don't know this, I don't know anything about social media, so Pastor Tim is the one who posts those uh, videos online, and I find myself every morning like a kid on Christmas. I'm just sitting there waiting for the Facebook post so I can read with whoever is reading with us that day. And uh, it has just been super fun. I've really uh, enjoyed with my Bible, just reading along with the video. I hope you guys have found it a blessing um, to you as well. I want to thank all the people that have volunteered to read. Um, as you know, it's not that hard. It's actually uh, a lot of fun. It's, provided, it's being a blessing. I keep hearing people talking about it. That's being a blessing to them each day just to read along with you. So I want to thank all of you that have read. If you have not read and you do want to read... Um, We've got a few chapters left in the 40s, so the end of Genesis, just let me know, put it on a connection card, we'll contact you and help you get a video done. Uh, so we're going to continue day eight today. Dustin, our one and only Dustin, uh, was our star performer today. I'm not going to tell you who it is tomorrow, but you'll want to be there and read uh, with her for sure. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our look at Jesus in Genesis. So these Sundays, as we're doing 50 days in Genesis, we have opened up our Bibles and we're looking at people and things that are in Genesis that point us to Jesus. Right, this morning we're going to be looking at Noah and the flood. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. And just as a warning, um, and because I know you guys have been reading along with the 50 days of Genesis, so you have read chapter 6, you've read chapter 7, you, you read chapter 8 today, you'll read chapter 9 tomorrow. I'm going to cover four chapters today, but I'm not going to read every verse in all four chapters. So I'll try as I'm reading through to let you know where I am. Um, but I know that you guys are fully engaged and I don't want to bore you as I'm, as I'm preaching. So I'm just going to do that. So we're going to pick up in chapter six, chapter six of Genesis. A lot has happened since last Sunday. So we had creation in chapters one and two. In chapter three, we had where sin entered the world. Uh, then we had Cain and Abel in chapter four. In chapter 5, we had a whole genealogy, and we just had a whole list of names. The, the author just raced through about anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 years. He just flew through that. Then he slows down, and he spends about four chapters on about a year of time. So he covers a year of time telling the story of the flood of Noah's day. So we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to begin in chapter 5 of verse 6. Uh, I like starting here because it kind of concisely describes the widespread, intense wickedness that has covered the earth. And we'll see in these passages that I'm going to read that it contrasts, contrasts that wickedness with a man who walked with God and his name was Noah. So I'm going to begin chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of, the, of man was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had ever made man on earth, 
and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I, uh, who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, and I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Picking up in verse 12. And God saw that the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Verse 17, the Lord is speaking. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. In verse 22 we read, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then in chapter 7, verse 4, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Wow. Right, when we just read that opening chapter and a half, we see that there's a lot of corruption. We see that there's a lot of violence. We see that God is not happy. But as we think back to that passage here in a few minutes, I want you to remember two things. One, I want you to remember the corruption and violence that was in the world. And I want you to see how that was compared to Noah's obedience. Right, he was a man that according to verse 5, it said he walked with God. And as we read, the world was going about their own lives with no thought about God, much less living to please God or, or even attempting to find out what God's desire was. They had no interest in God. And God was going to judge the entire world, and they had no idea what was about to come. That is not a position you ever want to find yourself in. So we're going to continue reading. I'm going to go down and start in chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 11. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And on the very same day Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Joseph, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. In verse 22 it says this, Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. 
and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. And as we read this, we see that Noah trusted God. When God told him that he needed to make an ark for him and his family, he made it. And ultimately, it was that ark that would provide safety, that would provide security, that would provide life after God's judgment. After 150 days of the earth being covered in water and Noah and his family finding safety and security in that ark, Scripture tells us that God remembered him, that God remembered Noah, and we see that the water started to subside. It'd be another 150 days for the the waters to abate, and then we see a few weeks later, Noah sends out the raven, then he sends out the dove, and then about 70 days later, the water had fully, fully abated, and they could walk out on dry land, and Noah and his family and the animals, they walk out of the ark. And we read this in uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. It says, In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all the flesh, birds and animals, and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And then we continue in verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And when we read this passage, we see that the ark was a tool that God gave to Noah to protect Noah and his family from God's judgment. And after God's judgment, after the the flood, we see that Noah left the ark. And the first thing that Noah is recorded doing is making an altar, making a sacrifice, worshiping God. He offered a sacrifice to please God and to atone, to seek forgiveness for his sins. In verse 821, we see that even in the new recreation, as some theologians call it, sin is still present. That the sin of man has passed through, and in spite of a human's disposition to sin, God still allows us atonement. God still allows sacrifice. It's something that is possible for us to do to walk with God, to continue in a peaceful relationship between the Creator and the created. And this way of sacrificing provided a way for Noah to continue to walk with God, even in the new creation, even in this new life that he was going to be in. Now what I love about this story, this event that happened, this was a worldwide flood. It would cover the entire world. And you would say, well, if that's true, then it should be recorded in other places besides Scripture. And guess what? It is. Right? If we look at some of the the earliest uh, writing accounts, we can find stories of the flood. We see it, the Mesopotamian accounts from the second millennium B.C. mention a worldwide flood. We see the Sumerian writings from about 1600 B.C. mention the flood. We see in the Canaanite readings uh, 1400 B.C. the mention of the floods. 
And I love it when we see this, how the, the Bible interacts with history, how it interacts with what is going on in the world at its time and in our time. And it's one of the ways that we can validate the truths of Scripture. But more importantly, is it's found in the inerrant word of God. Right? It talks about the, the flood, and it's not just in the Old Testament. We see it throughout the, the New Testament. We see that Jesus references the flood in Noah's time. We see that the author of Hebrews mentions Noah and his faith during the floods. We see that Peter, in both of his letters, mentions, Peter, mentions Noah and the floods. If we go to, to 1 Peter, we see one spot, 1 Peter three, eighteen, and Peter writes this. For Christ also suffered one of the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, but he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. And while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters." Now, if you've studied Scripture, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that this passage is a hotly contested passage of Scripture. There are theologians that have been fighting for thousands of years about the interpretations and what exactly does Peter mean about certain things. But for our study, I want us to be very clear, and I do not want us to miss the gospel in this passage. This is the focus of this passage, that Christ suffered and died as the righteous one in the place of the unrighteous in order to bring us to God. That Christ is the ultimate sacrifice that atones for our sins, that allows us to walk with God. That Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. And because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we can walk in peace with our Creator. What we are clear about in this passage is many people fight. There are some things that we can be absolutely sure of. Because Peter tells us. And one, we know that the waters of the flood symbolize judgment for those who did not obey. For those who went away from God. For those that were going to perish. And then there was those, Noah and his family, who walked with God and they found life. Whatever, whether Noah proclaimed the, the truth during his time or Jesus proclaimed the truth to the captives that he had defeated, the focus is still the same. That Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. That Christ died for our sins and that he was raised from the dead to bring us new life. Right? This is the story. Jesus wins and through his victory you have life in him and him alone. That is the focus of this passage. This is the gospel that Jesus is victorious and that we are safe in Jesus. Therefore, if those who are in Jesus do not need to fear the second coming. Do not need to fear the, the coming judgment that is to come. However, as we continue in Peter, we see that he does not just stop with the flood representing judgment. He also uses the picture of the water cleansing the earth as an illustration of baptism. Our own cleansing and our own sins are being washed away. Peter continues in verse 21. He says, baptism, which corresponds to, to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All right, so Peter starts off with saving grace that is only found in Jesus. 
And then he moves on to this baptism, this proclamation of our faith in Jesus. Right? It's not this physical cleansing of water, of the, the body, that baptism saves you, but it is the inward appeal in faith to God for the true washing of our hearts, the transformation of our hearts. We are saved by grace through faith. That is it. Right? And baptism is a tangible sign of this. It's a public profession of this grace in our lives. It's uniting us with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a very public way. So it is a profession, a tangible profession of the faith that we have in Jesus. In Peter's time, when the believers were getting baptized, this was a demonstration of their public profession and it linked them with their brothers and sisters in Christ. It reminded them of God's grace in their lives. And it encouraged them when they were facing trials and difficulties. It reminded them of their brothers and sisters. And no matter what they were going through, they were reminded together of the faith that they had in God. They were reminded that God's grace is greater than anything that they face. And that God is sovereign over everything. So God's sovereignty over all that was and all that will ever be allowed them to rest in peace, allowed them to be secure in their faith in him. But here's the deal with baptism. Those same assurances are true today, right? When we get baptized, it is a tangible profession of our faith to our brothers and sisters, to our local body of believers. It is something where we could put our hands back when we are struggling with our faith. I remember when my daughter got baptized there was another pastor, and he looked her right in the face, and he said, you write this down in your Bible, because from now on, the devil's going to tell you every day this never happened. And so you can go back and remember that baptism. Right? God's judgment is going to come again. We can read about that in Scripture. And so the question is, have you placed your faith in him? Have you found your safety and your security in, Je- in Jesus just as Noah has found it in the ark? Have you publicly professed that faith through an act of baptism? I know that there are some people that are talking about doing it later. That's fine. If you want to do it now, that's fine. Um, If you want to do it after service, let me know or put it on a contact uh, card and we'll talk and we will plan that. Because we said it's not the baptism that saves you. It's the faith in Christ that saves you. But here's the problem. Is that many people, maybe, maybe even some of you in this room, think that they can do that later that I'll have time to follow God, that I'll have time to find God, that I'll have time to deal with God later. They have other things that they want to focus on right now. Some of them by themselves aren't that bad. I don't have time to God because I want to focus on my family. I don't have time for God because I want to focus on my career or my work. Right? And by themselves, they're not a bad thing. Right? When they replace God, they're a horrible thing. Right? And then there's other reasons, and I won't look at anybody, but there's some reasons that aren't so good. Right, that they, You just want to live your 20s and 30s. You just want to do what you want to do. You don't want to try to figure out about what God's desire is. You don't have time for God. I got, I got to do me. I got to do the things that I think will bring me joy. And so I don't have time for God right now. I will do that later. One of the most common laters is I'll wait until I have kids and I'll worry about all that stuff. This is a truth talk. We're going to take a little break in the sermon. But here's the truth. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. There is absolutely nothing else that will fill your heart than God. Right? So delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. You will just be empty 
looking anywhere else. And here's the problem when we put things on delay, when we wait, is that Jesus talks about Noah, and he talks about how the second coming will resemble the days of Noah. And oftentimes when we think about that, we say, oh, Jesus talked about the times of Noah and the world's gonna be filled with corruption and violence and it's that thing that will trigger his second coming. It's that thing that will bring his day of judgment. So what we do is we keep one eye on the world, right, and we have somehow set this like boundary of when things will get bad enough. We say, man, if things get this bad, then I better turn to Jesus, right? If things get this bad, Jesus might be coming back, so now I'm gonna act like I'm following Jesus. Now I'm going to turn to Jesus. But until then, I'm just gonna eat and drink, be merry, go about my life. There's just nothing is happening. But this is what's important. When we look what Jesus says about the time of Noah, Jesus actually does it twice in Scripture. There's two places when he's talking with his disciples where he tells them about the days of Noah. One time is when he's walking to Jerusalem for the last time. The second time is the, what we call the Olivet, Olivet Discourse, and it's, he's on the, the Mount of Olives, and he's teaching his disciples, and both times he brings up the time of Noah. We're going to look at the Olivet Discourse, and Matthew records Jesus saying this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Neither of the times that Jesus talks about the time of Noah does he talk about violence and corruption, evil or complete human wickedness. That's not the point of it. Both times that Jesus talks about Noah and God's judgment, Jesus said the people were just going on about their lives. They were unaware of what was to come. They were eating and drinking, marrying. They were just doing life. They were not ready for the judgment that was to come. They were caught unprepared. And this is what we need to look, we we need to remember this, that the, the Lord may be patient. And we are all grateful for that. But we also must never forget that the Lord is just, right? Justice will be done. Scripture tells us uh, in Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I'm gonna be honest with you, the day is coming when the heavens pass away and the heavenly bodies burn up and dissolve. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. But I don't wanna be here for that. Right, when we look through the the scripture and I, I look and study that, here's what commentators said it means. That your works and your heart will be exposed and there will be no place to hide. I don't wanna be here for that either. Right, that could be scary to me. It will be like the days of Noah, except there won't be a boat to save you. Only Jesus can save you. Right? Only Jesus will be able to save you during that time. Only faith in Jesus will save you from that coming judgment. And the author, author of Hebrews, he wrote this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world 
and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And if we read Peter's second letter, he tells us that we are protected in Jesus. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we are protected, we are saved, we are secured. And just as Noah and his family were protected, they were safe from God's judgment because of the ark. They were sealed in the ark. We can only be safe when we are sealed in Jesus Christ. When our faith is firmly found in Jesus Christ, we become heirs of righteousness and will not only be safe during the judgment, but will be in the glory of our Father forevermore. For all of eternity, we will be with our Father in the new creation, right? The new Jerusalem. For by faith and by reverence, by love for God, Noah demonstrated what it looks like to walk with God. When the rest of the world was doing their own thing, when they weren't worried about it, Noah walked with God. And I just want to wrap this up really quick. We're going to talk about three things that we can learn about Noah, that we can learn about a man who walked with God during this time. The first thing is, is we need to walk in obedience. In the first chapters of six and seven in the Noah account, we can see how many times Noah was obedient to God. If we just highlight some of this, it says, Noah did this. He did all that the God commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And then later it says, and Noah, as God commanded, and he did this. And it says, and Noah went in just as God had commanded. Hey, this is what it looks like to walk with God. It doesn't take some seminary degree to know what to do. I remember there's a, a chaplain, and he was sharing with a baseball player. And the baseball player gave his life to Jesus and said, hey, what do I do now? And he said, oh, read this and then do what it says. Like, that's what Christians do, right? Read this and do what it says. It was funny, I was meeting with a, a gentleman earlier this week. And he was out there and he was, he was in a Hindu temple, right? He's praying. The Hindu monk comes over to him and says, who's your mantra? Right? Who are you praying to? Whose teachings do you follow? And he grew up Catholic, so he knew the right answer. He's like, Jesus? And he said, well, good. You need to go follow his teachings. Right? You need to go find him and follow his teachings. And so the man did what he said. He went home. He read his Bible. He started following Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus, and that was the last time he was in a Hindu temple. Right? Because as Christians, that's what we do. We are obedient to what Jesus tells us to do. So are you following Jesus? Are you walking in obedience? Are you in his word? Are you learning his commands? Are you following his teachings? Right, when your life story is read, will it say something like, Kendrick did this. He did all that God commanded him. Will it say, and Linda did this. She did what the Lord commanded her. Mike, as God commanded, he did this. Christina went just as God commanded her. Will your life story be one of obedience? And second, we see that Noah walked by faith. Noah built a boat in the middle of the desert. Think about that for a minute. A boat in the middle of the desert. Why? Because he walked with God. Right? He walked by faith in God, and God told him to do it. This is often one of the hardest things to do, because in our minds, we got a better plan. God doesn't know that our plan is better, but we are sure that our plan is better, and he keeps telling us to do something that doesn't make any sense to us at all. Right? Sometimes, 
And if you've been a Christian for, for more than like two days, I could say most of the time, God calls us to be obedient out of faith in him, not in our understanding of what's going on. He says, you just do it because I told you to. And we say, but God, I got a better plan. No, you just do what I told you because I told you to. I remember when God called me into the ministry. I was, I was actually excited about it. I said, yeah, sure, God, I'm going to do it as soon as I retire from the Marines. Right? It's on my timeline. I know this is how sad it is. I was in the Marines. You know, military, you don't get paid a lot. But I knew I got paid more than I would when I got into the ministry. I know you don't get rich in the ministry. So I figured, hey, God, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to get a retirement. Then I'm going to go into the ministry. Because that makes sense to me. But God said, no. I'm calling you into the ministry now. And then you know how you get a Marine to do something? You call him a coward. He said, hey, coward, I'm telling you to do something now. So me, somebody who, who really doesn't know anything, that doesn't know how to do anything but shoot guns, do security assessments, provide threat protection, left the Marines and went into full-time ministry because that was what God said. So I take a step of faith. For my first seven years in ministry, guess what I did? I supported ministry. ministry ministries, missions, missionaries in closed and hazardous countries. And I provided training on threat protection and assess, threat assessments for them. Right? So God has a plan. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody says, hey, go into ministry and you'll go to crazy places where people are trying to kill you and teach people how to stay alive. You don't get that when you go into the ministry. Never saw that coming. But God did. Right? God has this all planned out so what about you what is Jesus asking you to do in faith but it doesn't make sense to you at all right you guys I just say that sentence and you all got a 5,000 things going through your head right you're like oh he told me to do this but that's crazy oh he told me this just pick one of them right you don't have to do them all let's just take easy steps here right but what is one of those things that Jesus has called you to do that doesn't make sense right the truth is you will only know what those things are when you're walking with Jesus right, when you're being obedient to Jesus, when you're walking in faith, right, when you're spending time with him, when you're seeking his heart, and here's the truth, man, your faith has never been challenged, right, if God has never tried to grow your faith, you need to question, are you walking with God, right, are you walking in faith, or are you just going about your business as usual, Right, if God's not trying to draw you closer to him, if God's not saying, hey, let me show you how great I am, let me show you how powerful I am, let me show you how sovereign I am, let me show you my glory, right? Let me show you that my ways are better than your ways. Then you just have to question, are you walking with God? Are you walking in faith with God? And finally, when we walk with God, we should be walking with gratitude in our lives, right? The, the first recorded act of Noah when he got off the ark was an act of worship, Right, both atonement for his sins and it was a display of gratitude for what God has done. By the ark he was saved and he became part of this recreation and his heart was overflowing with gratitude. As he looked around and it was him and his family that God had saved, that God had protected. Well, church, if you're a Christian, by the cross you're saved. Right? We are saved. It's by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that we are saved. It's because of his perfect sacrifice that we will be able to one day walk in the new Jerusalem. Right? That one day we will walk with God. And as we learned last week as we walked through that garden, it will be good. It will be very good. 
And as we look forward to that day, as we remember God and as we know that he remembered us and he sent his son, our hearts should be overflowing with joy and gratitude and we should be able to reflect that grace to our community around us. Our gratitude for his grace should be reflected in every part of our lives. How we speak, how we act, how we serve, how we love one another. Our entire lives should be an act of worship fueled by the gratitude of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It is our acts of worship as we walk with gratitude that will point others to his glory. As we walk through this world and we love people the way that Jesus loves people, as we love people the way that Jesus loves us, people will say, man, what's different about them? As we've been saved by Jesus, do people see God's grace in your gratitude? Do people see how thankful you are for what Jesus has done for you? See, God gave Noah the ark, but he gave us his son. Right? When we walk with Jesus, you will experience new life and eternal life. And while the ark saved Noah, only Jesus will save you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just... We just take a minute to worship. Lord, as we think of everything that's going on in our lives, of the uncertainty and, and the unknowns, as we think of the things that are challenging us right now in this minute, we can just stop and worship you. We can just stop and say thank you. And Lord, sometimes we get so caught up that we don't think back that you've already won, that the battle belongs to the Lord, that you are victorious, and it is in you that we are safe and secure. It is in you that we are protected is in you that we find hope it's in you that we find joy it is in you that we find life and we are so grateful for you lord we just love you and as we go and leave this place lord we just pray that our lives would be yours that jesus was the sacrifice and our lives would be an act of worship to say thank you and point people to the grace and glory of you god we love you We're grateful for your son, Jesus, that you sent to be our perfect sacrifice now and forever. And Lord, we are so excited and so filled with joy that one day we will walk with you in the garden as we sing holy, holy, holy. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen.